With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Former Huskers turning success in sport to success in business. This is Red to Black. My name is Aaron Davis, and this is how I went from red to black. Another episode of Red to Black. Chris Gorman, Pat Safford, here with Aaron Davis. Hi, Aaron. How you guys doing, man? Good Great. to be here. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing hey, well. Thanks for having no idea what our show's about and agreeing to come on. That's very brave. <laughs> that is very brave of you. <laughs> I call it as a, as a former bench former wide receiver is going over the middle. You never, you, you, <laughs> as we were preparing for this interview, I'm like, I think all we need to do is just say, how are you doing, Aaron? And then you would take it because you do this for a living. Right. That's so different than talking to some some athletes that just they, they are great on the field, but just they don't like to speak publicly a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so this is a blessing for us. Absolutely. Well, it's it's so cool thanks. to be here. Thank you. So, and we were talking, you know, before we started recording and I'm like, yeah, you were a stud on the field. And you're like, I was a cheerleader on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Nebraska, like I did, if you were on the field, if even if you were a walk-on with a helmet who was only on the field yeah. during practice, you were still considered a stud. So you're still in that category. Well, I appreciate it. It was, a, it was a good time. And the older I get, the more I appreciate it. That's for sure. So let's take it back. Um, you know, in our, in our research and talking about like your history, I mean, it sounds like you built up some resiliency, uh, resiliency pretty early on in your life, like helping with your dad, mm -hmm. um, doing janitorial work, Absolutely. really like talk to us about that. You know, I grew up on 1305 North 25th. I mean, directly over in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, in Nebraska football was, has always been big for me in that even from our backyard, um, I could hear the fans, <laughs> you know, on Saturdays, awesome. yeah, man, yeah, you know, awesome, yeah. it was awesome. So that was always a dream for me. But my father was a janitor for 40 plus years and um, cleaned very two prominent business here in town, very big places. And it was just him and uh, me and my older brothers and my sisters helped out. So from about eight years old, you know, seven, eight years old, I was going to work with my dad at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon when we got out, out of school. And that's when the janitor obviously goes when everybody's leaving mm -hmm. for the day and would empty out, you know, tons of trash cans. And back in the day when you could smoke in your office, tons of ashtrays <laughs> mm -hmm. and clean bathrooms, buff floors, wax them and vacuum floors. And so that work ethic started young with us, mm -hmm. you know, in that there are a lot of days I didn't feel like going, you know, uh, but I'm glad and I'm grateful that my dad had us do that early on to teach us that work ethic and that hard work. And, and I think it's really synonymous with, you know, it's kind of the, one of those unthankful jobs until something's wrong, then you notice it. Mm -hmm. You know, if your trash is not empty, you notice it when it is, you don't pay any attention. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and as a scout team guy, like I was, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of that un, kind of the un, kind of forgotten what if you would, your teammates knew it, your coaches appreciate it, but the fans and they forget. Uh, but when the team's losing, it's always like, man, did they even practice this week? You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of, that's a deflection like, on us. Right. Gonna write at you. <laughs> you know? right. So, you know, it really built me up for that. It was a lot of fun, but there was so many lessons I learned pushing them up. Uh, my father would always say, uh, your name is on it with every task that you did, whether it was uh, wiping down a window or a sink or a mirror. Um, every job you do, he would say, son, every job you do, your name is on it. Wow, that, so, is, a, that is such a great mm -hmm. way to look at that. That's great. I wish Absolutely. I knew that like 15 years ago, teaching that to my kids because trying to get that 
passion in them to just do whatever the job is to do it right. Um, your name is on it. It just cuts right to it. Your name's on it. Yeah. That's brilliant. Your name's on it. That's a smart guy. And he's, he's very, very wise man. Yeah. Very wise man. So those lessons stuck with me, uh, not only through high school and college, but just throughout my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I read, read some stories. Um, you, you might not, there's a chance that you shouldn't be here. There's a chance that your life could have taken a very different, like hard right turn, maybe mm -hmm. drugs, alcohol, getting mm -hmm. in trouble. Like talk to us about how you maybe turn that corner and, you know, maybe some of the lessons that your dad taught you about turning that corner and turning your life around. You know, my dad's a pastor. He was a janitor, but he's also a pastor. And um, being a PK was rough, man. You know, because in my house growing up, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, uh, a Christian music, you weren't listening to it. And that's you a know. pastor's kid? Yes. A PK. I'm a okay. PK. Yeah, pastor's <laughs> never, kid. Never heard of it yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a PK, man. You talk to any other pastor's kid, they know about the PK. <laughs> so you weren't allowed to, my curfew was always earlier than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up in the old adage that my dad said, you know, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Mm -hmm. You know, it yeah. was yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. At the time, I thought it was um, uh, extremely... Uh, strict, but as, as a father myself now at 46 years old with three kids, I'm glad my father and mother erred on the side of caution and let us do anything we wanted to. Because even when I did act a fool, cause I played, like I said, played ball here for three and a half years. And I, when I stopped playing ball, I started hanging out with a lot of wrong crowd, mm -hmm. wrong crowd, wrong group of guys, you know, they weren't doing, you know, doing anything crazy, but you know, just partying, you know, just partying. I see my GPA drop. Um, and I, in a 95 season, I'm going to tell you guys something. You're talking about lifelong regrets. I do believe in regrets. You know, sometimes people say, well, live with no regrets. I think that's an oxymoron. I don't know how you can it's live. It's impossible. Have, right? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. impossible. Yeah, it's if impossible. you don't have any regrets, you probably didn't do much, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but when the 95 team, which I was supposed to be on, to see that team win and knowing that I was supposed to be on that team, but I left at my own. And finances was a part, too. I was a walk-on. So that mm -hmm. was obviously a part of it. But I could have made it happen, Yeah, you know. Um, that was something I said, I missed that opportunity. That was a huge turning point for me. I said, mm -mm. you know, cut some of the guys I was hanging out with and they weren't bad guys. They were just doing things that just weren't, they just partying. Mm -hmm. you were, know? Were, were those guys a part of one of the reasons why you didn't go back and make it happen? Like you said, your friends. Oh yeah. Some of the guys yeah. I was hanging out with. Definitely. They, they weren't pushing you in that direction. No. They're more like, come on, Aaron, hang. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because I tell college students all the time. The crowd that you're associating with right now, uh, I always say, show me your friends, I'll show you future. Mm -hmm. Show me your friends, I'll show you future. Because people you're hanging out with, you're either pulling you up or pulling you down. There's no neutrality here. You know, and I was hanging out with a bunch of guys that they were hanging out, you know, acting a fool. So I started acting a fool with them because you become who you associate with. And so that was a big turning point, And I was like, I'm done. Um, went, you know, got back to full-time status in school and went to start playing football again in 96. And it shows you how life changes. My roommate I was living with at the time though was murdered oh, in wow. the summer of 96. And at that point, my life took a real, real sharp turn towards just, I just want to finish school. I didn't want to, you know, it's one of my childhood best friends murdered in our apartment, just right, uh, right down the street from campus. In fact, wow, uh, right by Pinzer Park. I mean, at know, that age, that'll, that'll shake anybody up at any age. But yeah. At that age. It'll shake you. It'll shake you up big time. And, um... Yeah, it just changed me quite a bit. I just said, I just want to be, I would just dialed in. Although I miss football, I just like, I just want to get done with school and finish on my life. But 
still have great, always have great relationships with the, uh, with my former teammates, um, coach Osborne since I was like nine. Cause one of my <laughs> older brothers, uh, was the equipment manager for the Husker football team when he was in college. Oh, that's cool. So I've been hanging out at that stadium since 1983, 84, man. Mm-hmm. So those relationships, they were more than just coaches to me. They were, you know, like uh, role models from a very early age. So that term, back to your point, though, after my roommate was killed, I said, that's it. That's it. You know, I said, I'm, I'm better than this. My parents and ancestors and great-grandfathers sacrificed a lot. Uh, for me to just to be, you know, uh, pouring it all down the drain with stupid choices. So that was kind of the thing that straightened me out, man. So when you were a kid hearing the roar of the crowd and, you know, <laughs> following, you know, Coach Osborne and, you know, did you ever envision yourself playing on that field? You know, I had dreams, mm-hmm. aspirations of doing it. Um, in fact, my first coach, my first job, coaching job, my first job, real job, Coach Solich gave my first real job. I was the equipment manager, the ball boy for the Husker football camps in the summer when they used to have those. Yeah. And um, I'd be out there playing on the field between sessions, me and Jeff Solich, Coach Solich's son, uh, the Davis boys when they were real little. I think mm-hmm. Josh may have been a little too young, but uh, Coach you know, Tony Davis's sons, we'd be on the field running around. Mm-hmm. And I had dreams of one day playing for Nebraska, and I wasn't the fastest, strongest guy. I had offers from a lot of you know D2 schools. You know, Iowa State did, but, you know, Iowa State's like, you're not going to Iowa State. You know, <laughs> no disrespect, but, you know. <laughs> That's not happening. No, Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wasn't a military cut, although a lot of my family are. But Nebraska, when Coach Osborne offered me the opportunity to walk on, to me, it was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So I did have big dreams of playing football in Nebraska, man. Um, you hear those yells mm-hmm. from the crowd in our backyard and, We'd be in the backyard playing tackle football or at Whittier, which is now in university, owned by university. That that all that field, we used to go up there and play football in the field and just watch the fans walk towards the game. You know, mm-hmm. we couldn't afford to go to Pretty games. Awesome. Yeah. It was cool just watching them go to the game. So we'd play a football game in Whittier or in Pinscher Park while Nebraska was playing. And uh, cool. we had our, we'd call out our names, who we were. I was Irving Fryer, and <laughs> sometimes awesome. Dana Brinson, you know. <laughs> so all those memories, man, it, it did. It led up to the thing to where I was like, I hope I get a chance to do that and have an opportunity to do it, which definitely a dream come true for sure, especially a small, uh, small-time kid like me from here in Nebraska. Man, it was a lot of fun. How many uh, games did you get in? You know, I played in quite a few. I can't say quite a few. I had one catch. Yeah. Hey, that's good. In fact, we were watching the UCLA game and I, I hadn't watched this. This was 94 UCLA game. And a buddy of mine was, I was at home. We've all been at home the past six months, but he sent me these pictures of me against UCLA. I was like, man, I haven't seen that game in years. Literally probably 20 plus years shows me blocking this guy or something like that. So I played, I would get in, I called the 40, 40 rule. Mm-hmm. We're up 40 seconds. Up 40 points. <laughs> I got a chance to play. <laughs> AD, get in there. Right. You know, most of the time I'd have mustard on my jersey, you know. You know, it was funny because guys, there were guys like, you know, pregame stretching. Yeah. I'm like, stretch for what? Dude, I got three hours before I'm playing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, have my girlfriend bring me hot dogs from the stands. <laughs> in fact, one story, man, is crazy cool, man. <laughs> Is Frazier was one of my roommates too prior to me having other roommates. So it was me, Tommy Frazier, Barry Miles, and Tyrone Williams. And Tommy was notorious for not eating a whole lot in the morning. And this is, I don't even know what game it was, but it's probably, I don't know, 
middle of the second quarter, and T. Frey comes, AD, everybody calls me AD, he goes, man, have Brooke, who's my wife now, he goes, man, have Brooke, grab us some hot dogs, I said, bet. I was like Isaac from the, you know, I was like Isaac from the love boat for the football team. You know? <laughs> I looked up there in that section, I said, hey, babe, she came down, and she, she grabs two hot dogs, and I put them under my jersey, and Tommy comes off, I don't know what had happened, there was a roar, I'm like, dang, if they score, baby, I'll come over. He goes, hey, do you get that hot dog? And I slipped him a hot dog. You just see, stuff his hot dog in his mouth. <laughs> so I had a little side hustle on the sideline, yeah. if you will. <laughs> but those are things I'll never forget. And just to be a part of the whole pageantry and the um, a part of, you know, some of the greatest athletes to play at Nebraska during that era at 46, I didn't realize how blessed I was at 18, 19 yeah. years mm -hmm. old to be a Isn't part of Isn't that usually the story when you look back on, on growing up eight, your teens and probably your 20s, you don't realize those, you know, when you're in them, you don't realize those are the years that form the rest of your life. They really do. You make the bulk of your memories in those years. Right. And you don't take, it. we're too young and too dumb to realize that. I like that. Too young and too dumb. Yep. Did you realize how special, like, so, I mean, we're all looking back, it's 2020, like, to like those 94 and 95 and like that team, like at the moment, did you realize how big of an impact that that era was gonna have on college football forever? I didn't at the time, I honestly say I couldn't. Maybe some other guys did. I, you know, it's sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Mm -hmm. You just get used to it. But you also knew we were special. Now I will say that you knew that we were pretty dang good in that um, you look at the number, this is probably about three months ago, I'm sitting on the back deck and just couldn't sleep. You know, I pulled up on YouTube, the 95 game against uh, Florida. And I'm looking at the number of draft picks, number of guys who played, not just made a team, I mean played longevity in the pros. And I was like, doggone, we had some serious mm -hmm. talent. The older I get, the more I appreciate it, mm -hmm. you know, but I really didn't realize it at the time. I knew we were good. And, and the thing about it was we knew we were good. <laughs> and that's a, that's a mindset. Yeah. And coach mm -hmm. Osborne and coach McBride and that whole staff collectively ingrained that through us, even how we did things, because how you do some things is how you do everything in a lot of ways in life, but in particular, when you want to be a high caliber performing team, how you do some things, how you do everything. I remember times in practice, Coach Osborne would say, run it again. Like, Coach, run it again. And no one obviously said anything back, but you're thinking to yourself, man, we just aced this play. It had to become second nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why most of Nebraska's games psychologically were done about midway through the second quarter third quarter was just punishing. I mean, you literally would just punish teams. Remembering that mindset, not, not from a player standpoint, but just the fans, just knowing that it's it's a wash. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. you, you know, you're going to be by the third quarter. If it's close, the fourth quarter, you're done. It's a wrap. Yeah, it was it's just, it was crazy. And I just thought that, that was, that's the way that it always is going to be. You know, there was an interesting stat that Coach Osborne shared. I would say it's not stat, but there's an interesting fact that he shared um, a few years back. One, of, one function, but he mentioned how the teams during that time, our opponents that we played often lost the following week because they were physically beat up. We had a number of players that mm -hmm. were out after playing us because we would physically punish you. Our practices were punishing. I mean, they were physical. I mean, I mean, Monday through Thursday, Thursday you just kind of had helmets. We have shoulder pads, just helmets, I think mostly on Thursday. But Monday through Wednesday, I mean, it was, it was full bore. I mean, you were hitting every 
practice Monday through Wednesday, Monday through Thursday for the most part. And when it came time for game time, our, we were used to it. And you were so tired of beating each other up, you couldn't wait to see someone with a different color <laughs> yeah. uniform on. Right. So, yeah. you know, the scout team guys, we took pride in it, man. We had absolute wars in that Cook Pavilion. I mean, it was just, it was fun. In fact, Kenny Wilhite, uh, who played quarterback, carries with the team now, uh, is one of the coaches, assistant coaches, and uh, he does recruiting, I believe high school and state recruiting. But we, we talk about that a lot. We, me and those guys hang out quite a bit. But just how physical those practices were against the black shirts. You know, I was offensive scout team guy. We'd go against those black shirts every day. And we would fight like we hated each other for two and a half hours. And then a lot of us were roommates. You know, me and Tyrell Wims and Barry Miles were all roommates. Uh, but we would go at it every day. There was no backing off. And, and that showed in games, though, too. Though. Mm -hmm. So those were some amazing times, man. So you... you you're in this place at the university. You decide to, to skip the 95 season, mm -hmm. just get through your, just get your degree. Did you want to eventually do something? I mean, you're a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. Where did you, where did you get to the point in your life where you're thinking, man, this is, I have a message. I have things that I can say that I can share with other people that will help me. You've said a couple things in here that I, I mean, the way you do some things is the way you do everything. Mm -hmm. That's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Did you make that up? No. Because no. that's really good. No, I, I've I mean, heard that a number of times. My dad would always say, "Is how you do this is how you do it." That's everything. amazing. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, your dad's great. So when, yep. when did you realize you had a message you wanted to share with people and start this? Because, I mean, it's a, it's a business for you. It is. And it was something that, that didn't happen on purpose. It was one of those things that just kind of, um, I would say life experiences uh, created the path for it, too. Um, I graduated and got my degree in psychology and in English. And I was, my, my plans was to go to grad school and get my master's in psychology, you know? And uh, then I, towards almost about January of my senior, I was like, dude, I'm not trying to be a psychologist. So I started bending more towards the sales area. So I did sales for a while with the Dale Carnegie Corporation. I did mm -hmm. that for a while. I worked for an organization called Campus Life, Youth for Christ. I did that for a while, which is mm -hmm. a lot of fun working with youth. And then I had, um, um, my roommate was killed about a year after that, 97, I'll never forget, um, a group calling me and asked me, did I want to come speak about, you know, domestic violence? Because you know, my roommate was murdered. I was mm -hmm. like, no, I don't talk about that. Then Coach Brown gave me a buzz and asked if I want to talk about just being part of a championship team and the mindset it takes for that for one of his groups. I was like, oh, that's cool. I did it. And I was in Seward, Nebraska. I'll never forget. And I loved it. And they paid me 50 bucks. That's I was like, word, you, you get paid for doing this? <laughs> I get paid? I ain't getting paid legally. <laughs> so I enjoyed it, man. And it just kind of just grew from there in that I continued to, uh, to do the speaking kind of here and there, but not charging anything, just groups mm -hmm. around town, uh, you know, Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and things like that. And then uh, I started working for the university because I, I did go back and start working my master's, working my MBA. Well, the calls kept coming to start speaking for more for colleges. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So I talked with Coach Osborne and Coach Brown. They helped me out as far as the structure, how it works, payments. Stan Parker, another former Husker, Stan played offensive line here back in the early 80s, uh, gave me a lot of direction. Uh, I and mean, just seeking counsel from my dad, too. And so I started speaking all at high schools and middle schools, elementary mm -hmm. schools. Uh, then it started going a lot more colleges, speaking about you know choices. And I always talk about uh, the power of your choices. Mm -hmm. and, um, and a good friend of mine, a mentor, he's been one for years and he's retired now, but Max Callen used to be with Smith Hayes. He was a uh, broker. 
And he says, AD, why don't you speak for corporate? I'm like, at that time, I'm like 24. I'm like, Max, about what? You know, I'm 24 years old. He goes, being a part of a championship team, everybody matters, blah, blah, blah. And he goes on. I'm like, okay. Gave us some thought. And about a year later, started speaking in corporate America. So now 90% of my audience is corporate American associations. And I talk to them about the, um, the attitude of a champion, mm -hmm. attitude of championship leadership, attitude of championship cultures, attitude of championship performers. So it's all about attitude. And um, so 90% is corporate. And uh, I still speak to, well, not this year, of course, uh, but still speak to well over 100,000 high school and college students a year across oh, the wow. country. You know, so on um, the social, if you go back, and some of the schools I still pinch myself, uh, Notre Dame, mm -hmm. USC, you know, um, Penn State, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> and good people. <laughs> Penn State, Florida, UC. I mean, I can go on and on. There's a number of colleges and that I've been uh, fortunate and blessed to speak for. Man, mm -hmm. I still pinch myself when I'm speaking for those. And then your rural high school still, you know, in Nebraska, throughout the country. Uh, because of COVID, I did several virtual graduations for clients on the East and West Coast, which was That's awesome. It was awesome to do that, and it was sad to see those students just on monitors. But yeah. any way that you can help alleviate some of that um, that angst and anxiety they had was cool. Mm -hmm. So, man, it's I love what I do, man. It's it's been a blessing, man. It's been a fun ride. So, your business is really interesting because the business is is you. Yeah, you aren't. Um, you know, you know, we're going to talk to Burrs later and he, you know, he sells pizza. We talked to Eric Crouch a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, with Crouch Recreation, mm -hmm. your business is you. Yeah. How much did, was that in you to motivate and speak and how much was it learned over time? I would say a lot of it was learned, you know, in that life experience has brought a lot of stories too, though. Mm -hmm. You know, I think all around, around us, all of us, there's stories all around us all the time. And what it's taught me is to be cognizant of my surroundings, be cognizant of experiences. You know, my truck, I get my journal on, use my phone quite a bit, the notes on there, but there's lessons in everything. And my mom, God rest her, would always say, uh, baby boy, I'm the youngest out of six kids. She would always say, there's a message in the mess. There's always a message in the mess. So every time I go through something or going through something, I'm always take, just taking mental notes. There's a, there's a message here. There's, and sometimes the message doesn't come right away. You know, time shows, but a lot of it wasn't right away. You know, I, I, I still read a lot of books, read a lot of books. Um, when I first got started, of course, you know, YouTube wasn't around, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I watched a lot of comedians too. <laughs> their delivery, yeah. you know, the pause, letting the, you know, the audience catch up. Cause, cause I was actually thinking that just a few minutes ago when you were talking about speaking to corporate America is that you're kind of, you're like a, you have a comedian. I mean, you have to create a set, yes. you have to have a hook, you have to get the audience to buy in, you have to have a payoff. Um, and to see that moment when the audience is, you guys are sinking, it's gotta be pretty cool. It is. It, and I tell you what, when you see an audience, when you know that, you, that they're, they're getting, every, they're buying, every, they're taking everything you're saying it's a cool thing, but it's also responsibility mm -hmm. um, because you want to, they are giving you something that they can never get back and that's their time. Mm -hmm. So people often, I've been doing this for over 20 years now, you know, people say, do you still get nervous? Hell yeah. <laughs> because to me, when you're no longer nervous, you don't care as much. That's just my yeah. personal opinion. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. going to make a blanket statement for, for me, I always want that feeling like it's about to be game time, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, I don't need a whole lot before I speak. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe a power shake and some water right there because I still, I take it serious. And I know God has given me an opportunity and I, I want to, I want to make sure I respect that time that they're giving me because everybody in that audience, man, is hurting. Everybody's mm -hmm. going through something. 
Um, and hopefully you can say one thing to encourage them to go one more yard. Mm-hmm. Just don't, don't, don't look 50 yards. Don't even look at the end zone. Just, just go to the next yard marker. And I think if, especially right now during COVID, I mean, all of us, we got to think in yard increments, Oh man, yeah. you know, That's because, true. and not only that, but the end zone keeps changing on us. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so yeah, yeah. to look that far is, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to do that. So I just want to say, I just want to focus on the next yard mm-hmm. and everybody in that audience is going through something. So I try to help them just in myself because everything I share, man, I need more than anybody else. Yeah. Well, I got this stuff mastered. And, and that's a big responsibility. And you're talking about everybody in the audience going through something. Do you have that one, that story, that person that you touched that maybe five, 10 years later, they come back to you and say, listen, hearing you speak here or having you say this thing to me at a specific time really changed my life. You know, those right there are the ones that keep me going when I don't feel like going. Um, I've been through a lot of tragedy in the past 15 years. You know, my brother was killed in 09, about six blocks that way on his bicycle, wow. riding his bike, hit by a car about 5.30 in the morning. Um, obviously, I told my roommate was murdered. Uh, a few of the buddies who had committed suicide, you know, unexpectedly lost my mom in 2014. Um cousin that was just a few years older than me, pancreatic cancer. I mean, it's just, well, all of us got stuff. Sure. But it was just, I was wearing a black suit so often. Mm-hmm. It was just like, man, it's, it's bad when you know all the funeral directors in town. That's yeah. not a good thing. Yeah. That's, you that's know, a, yeah, right. Yeah. Particularly here in the guy who was just like, AD, I'm sorry, it's here again. But with each one of those, I've, there's comes a message sometimes through an email or something on social media, man, what you said, helped me do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget the one that this lady, I wish I could, I wish I had the note with me. We knew there's going to direction. I don't know this lady from Adam and she's from up in Northeast Nebraska. I believe it's either Ainsworth or Atkinson. She sends me a card every year, right before the passing of my mom. My mom passed away September 18th of 2014. I get just right in my post office box over there every year for the past uh, five years. My mom's been gone six years. So every year, the, this fifth year she's done it. She sends me a card to let me know she's thinking about me and praying for me. And the words that I shared with her still impacts her to this day. That's incredible. I don't know the slave madam. Yeah, I mean, he still does me yeah, right that's, now. That's, yeah. that's incredible. I don't know the slave madam, but every year about September 16th or 17th. Just two weeks ago, you got another card. Yeah, another mm-hmm. card from her. I don't know. And I always send her one, but I've never met her. But every, I'm thinking that's that amazing. is intentional. Yeah. You know, so it's things like that, that, that really, I'm just like, God, I thank you. I appreciate that it's touching somebody's heart. Mm-hmm. It's planting some seeds and hopefully they're, uh, they're getting some, a harvest from that of something, mm-hmm. you know, of just, you know, of just positivity of encouragement to keep going that one more yard. Yeah. Well, every year we see you at Remington. That's mm-hmm. like our time. Where oh yeah. We do a Facebook. Yeah, we're grinding. We, oh yeah. <laughs> and you always seem like it's so automatic. It's not like I need to look through my notes. I need to do this. It seems like you're always on, always prepared. And one thing I always appreciate about Remington is not only do you connect with the audience, um, you connect the audience with themselves mm-hmm. um, and you really get that. You always make people like introduce themselves to people or like say a couple right. of things to each other. And I've always just appreciated um, how that event like really tied those individuals there. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to be here for two hours. We're going to eat a steak as big as our head. We're going to hear from <laughs> some like sports legends. But you're directing that whole thing and not only directing the speakers and everything, but you're directing the energy of that event. And it's something that I always thought you did extremely well. Chris, it seems like it's it. second nature to you. You know, first of all, I appreciate it, man. Mm-hmm. I really do. Because that event, I, I mean, that is an, uh, a privilege. Mm-hmm. 
that is like the Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. of offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is a privilege um, to do that. And to your point, I mean, you explained it all. When you're going to be there for two hours with those people at your tables, why not have them introduce themselves to each other mm-hmm. and to um, to walk away a little better? Yeah, yeah, it's about a trophy, but it's about life. Mm-hmm. And you know the thing that's ironic, Chris? You've been you've been there for how many years now? Oh yeah, five years. Long yeah. time. Yeah. Every year that room makeup is going to be different. Oh yeah. Because each year, now you'll just have different people who buy tickets, mm-hmm. but some people literally will not be on this earth the next year. Yeah. yeah. And so I always keep that forefront in my mind in that this is going to be possibly mine, possibly yours. This is going to be somebody's last Remington award. Yeah. Make the best of it. That's mm-hmm. heavy, man. That, that, then, yeah. but it's true. It's truth. Absolutely true. It's the truth. It could be mine. It could be yours. Could be, I mean, I, I just anybody's. try to think that way and keep that cognizant and it keeps me mentally and spiritually and just life, just sober minded. It's like, man, this could be the last one. So make it count. It makes mm-hmm. you not want to waste at any moment, an, opp- an opportunity for anything, for anything, for anything, man. I think if COVID's taught me anything is that you better just relish the days, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the crap, the bull, all of it, you know, just relish it because everybody's going to have a last day one of these days. Yeah. So let's talk about COVID. Um, it's been real tough on musicians, restaurants, oh, bars, athletes, motivational speakers who yes. you yeah. know depend on these corporations bringing them in to motivate their employees. And everything has been switched to Zoom and Teams and Skype and all of this. And immediately what I found you doing is continuing the message, but yes. on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. Like talk about how, um, talk about how you responded to COVID by keeping the message going. Okay, March 11th is when, I haven't been on an airplane since March 8th. Oh, yeah. You know, I've not been on one, and which is crazy. But March 11th is when my business, when I felt it, uh, I started getting, I got a number of calls that day and emails of rebookings, cancellations, reschedules, oh, yeah. reschedules. And I remember that night, fellas, just sitting in my home office with my head in my hand saying, God, why is this happening to me? It's kind of like, bruh. <laughs> this is happening to the world. It's a, called a world pandemic. All yeah. right? You ain't the only one. You know? <laughs> and, you know what I did, man, is I washed my face, you know, um, of just saying, okay. And I've been, I started sharing this with every my audience. You can see on there, man, on the social handles. Um, I started focusing on, in fact, yesterday I just repeated that message. I focused, I said, I'm going to focus on the cans not the cans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. So I decided I did a four. I said, I'm doing a 40 day deal to where I'm making a video every day, mm-hmm. even Saturday and Sunday. I was dropping videos on there every single day, different words of encouragement, you know, just short 60 seconds, you know, cause we're a soundbite society anyway, yep. mm-hmm. you know, so 60 seconds. And, um, that right there. And I switched everything, just my little iPhone right there, uploaded all the different platforms and fellas, the number of responses from people, emails, messages that I needed that, I needed that, I needed that. Because you know what? I needed it too. Mm-hmm. Because when you feel helpless, be helpful. Whenever you feel helpless, just go help somebody. Because it takes it off of you, takes the attention off of you and puts it on someone else. Mm-hmm. So I just said, I'm going to be helpful when I'm feeling helpless. And not only that, my business grew as a result virtually because yeah. people are saying, hey, our people need to hear this message. They're mm-hmm. down the dumps. And once companies kind of found their stride as far as if they're going to be working from Zoom or, you know, go to meeting, whatever their, uh, yeah. you know, their platform is going to be, 
you know, I do those all the time now, mm -hmm. but COVID hit hard. I was, you, you guys both know this too. Some, many of you listening get this too. And to those of you listening right now, you may be struggling. In fact, there's a good chance if you're not now, you have, if you haven't, you will. And that's just a reality, but just keep going because during times of crisis, you can either panic or you can pivot. That's it. Right. You can panic or you can pivot. Panicking doesn't do anything. Panicking makes you anxious. It, it elicits depression, anger, and all sorts of stuff. But when you pivot, that's action. That's you're doing something productive about your current situation. And then you plan. So I had to realize panicking and being pissed off wasn't doing anything. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll say this as a disclaimer. You're human. You're going to be pissed off at times. You're going to panic at times. You're going to be down sometimes. And that's okay. And I share with people all the time, what's September right now, towards the end of it, of course, it, but September being Suicide Prevention Month, mm -hmm. man, people are hurting out there right now in every area of their lives. Um, so I don't want to be uh, uh, be like I'm remiss, just like, just be motivated. No, 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 I get it. It's okay not to be okay. There's going to be, and yeah. you look at our athletes right now, we know because the rates as far as depression, it's high. Suicide mm -hmm. rates are high with athletes and former athletes as well. Um, it's okay not to be okay. But there's also help out there. We can be alone, but not alone. There's help that's out there. So those of you are listening, I mean, if you're going through a tough time, there's a suicide prevention hotline. There's all there's NEMA.org, which is an organization, NAMI.org, NAMI.org has a number of resources on their websites, international, I believe, as far as mental health, et cetera. So, but when, when COVID hit, man, it changed the game for everybody. Uh, for you guys, for us, mm -hmm. uh, for college football, for pro right. football for sports and business around the world. But the key thing is during this is to pivot and plan. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're going to panic at times. You're going to be down at times, but just don't stay there. Yeah. And if you need help getting up, that's okay. In football, we had amazing trainers. When we got hurt, they would help us up and they would help us get well. There's nothing wrong with saying I need help. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, awesome. I, I think that's a great I place mean, that's, to end that's it. That's awesome. Um, I, we appreciate you being on Red to Black. Thank you. Um, it, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, I see your Instagram. I see all the motivational things that you put up every day. You were a force for positive. Anybody be lucky to have you speak to their organization. Um, and we appreciate you taking in some time Thank out of your you. day to speak with us. I enjoyed it, fellas. What Thank are you. your socials, people, to track you down? Yes, if you go to Instagram, uh, it's Aaron Davis Attitude Expert. So again, on Instagram, it's Aaron Davis Attitude Expert. Uh, if you go to Twitter, uh, it's AC Davis or just go to Aaron Davis. It's on there too. LinkedIn is Aaron Davis. Uh, and Facebook, if you go to Aaron Davis presentations, that's on there as well. Awesome. But Thanks, man. Thanks for being on Red Black. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it, man. A Huda Media Production.